Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCC. Acts chapter 28, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. And then next Sunday, we will wrap up with verses 17 through 31. What an accomplishment. We have worked our way through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the entire book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles better known as the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. We like to just kind of see a bigger picture of what we've been looking at for over the last year in this amazing book. We see that it's the second part of Dr. Luke's work. The first part was Luke focused on Jesus. The second part focused on the followers of Jesus. We know from early on in the story that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, disciples and all flesh for all time. And there was started a mighty worldwide disciple-making movement that expanded from Jerusalem to all the nations of which we are a part. It's the greatest cause on the planet, the greatest movement there's ever been in human history. And it started with an obscure person in an obscure part of the Middle East and look where we are today. And so what we've been seeing in these preceding 27 chapters is Jesus through his people expanding his church, taking the gospel of the kingdom, rooting it throughout the soil of the known world at the time and planting churches who were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I'm watching you, bro. Making some smiley face here with Luke Dixon. I'm calling him out. So, We've been seeing this, haven't we, for weeks and months, and it is a glorious story. And what we're going to see today, we saw last week that Paul and crew, 276 of them, crash-landed on an island, and they didn't even know where they were. They were at a port that they didn't recognize, and they had experienced a storm at sea, and their ship was falling apart literally as they crash-landed on this beach And we're going to see today that it's the island of Malta and it becomes the setting for this chapter as he proceeds to Rome. What's interesting about this, we get to see how pragmatic God is. Jesus told Paul that he was heading to Gentile nations to share the gospel and that he would stand in Rome. And the Lord makes sure that it's all paid for. Think about that. Paul and his crew, they didn't have to pay a dime. They were prisoners, in fact, on the boat, but everything was paid for. That would have been a very costly voyage, but it was all expenses paid on the empire of Rome's dime. So what we're going to see today, we're looking at 16 verses in two parts. uh, One through 10 is going to be Paul on the island of Malta, 
And then 11 through 16, Paul is going to actually set feet on Rome. And what we're going to see in this passage, a number of things going on, but God's ongoing sovereign direction, the mighty hand of the Lord is constantly guiding Paul and his crew and protecting him. And so we're going to see him directed and protected in this passage. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, but before we do, let's turn to the author of the scriptures. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge that you are the word, you are the living word, and that scripture brings us into living contact with you. And that's exactly what we ask for, that we would encounter you, Lord Jesus, and your presence through the Holy Spirit in these words. We pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So these first few verses here, we're going to see Paul and these guys crash landing on the island of Malta. And there's some very interesting stuff that happens. And then we'll see in the verses 11 through 16 that Paul's going to end up in Rome. So let's read it. I want to encourage you to. I'm, I, we have these slides up here, but sometimes I don't even want to do slides. I want you to bring your Bible. So get in the habit of bringing your Bible so you can get familiar with it. If you've got your Bible, why don't you hold it up? Let me see. I think we've got increasing number of people with their Bibles. I love it. I mean, there may be some Sunday where we don't have technology or something's going on. So we got these physical copies and then we got pew Bibles. And I've always wanted to have a choice at the church where I am. So we have NIV for folks and we have NRSV. I'm reading from the NRSV. So after we had reached safety, and he's using the we language because Dr. Luke is with him again, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead. But after they had waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual was happening to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honors on us. And when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. Friends, this is the word of God. So in these 10 verses, we've got an insider perspective on what was happening. And it's interesting to see right from the beginning the natives, the local people, what do you notice about them? We're going to see this a couple times at verse 2. What do you see? 
they're incredibly hospitable, aren't they? So here's these people, haven't heard the gospel, they don't speak Latin, so they're considered kind of outsiders of the Roman Empire, they speak their own language, and they've crash landed on this island that has a history that goes over 6,000 years before Christ. There were ancient European Neolithic people, new Stone Age people that lived on the island, and then later the famous Phoenician Empire, and so they're on this island, a small one. It's about 17 miles long by nine miles wide. It's on a sailing route that we've seen. Why don't we put that map up just so you can see, those of you that are visual and like to see. I put two stars up here. The lower star there is Malta. That's where they've crash landed after coming all the way from Caesarea on the lower right. And today they're gonna make a few stops and end up further north at Rome, the ultimate stopping point where that other star is. And so they're on this little small island here, and this is strange, isn't it? Do you find it a strange little story here? They're showed unusual kindness. At verse three, what do you notice about the mighty anointed apostle who had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus who had been on three missionary journeys and laid the foundation for missionary activity for the rest of the history of the church, had walked in signs and wonders and miracles, just like Jesus, had actually raised someone from the dead at least one time. What do you notice about him at verse three? He's serving. The brother is picking up sticks. And so I think a couple of things can be gleaned from this passage here. And one is Paul is not above any task. You see it right here? He chooses in spite of all the experiences that he's had, the respect from people, the way he's been used mightily, he chooses to pick up sticks with all the other passengers on the boat, including prisoners. Why do you think he did this? Because it was the moral, ethical thing to do as a good Jewish man? Why do you think? His master had instructed him in this, hadn't he? Some of you are familiar with John chapter 13, and Jesus with his disciples tells them, if I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And so Paul knows that. And he's been walking with Jesus now for over 15 years. And he is following the example of Jesus, the mightiest one, the great prophet, the most anointed one ever, the Lord Jesus. And Paul is saying, I want to be like him. No matter how exalted I am in the spirit, I am not above any task. Then Paul's going to go on. We get to see him in action here, but then in Philippians 2, we hear him describe the kind of mindset that he's after, right? I'm just gonna read this, parts of it, from Philippians 2, 3 to 11. Listen to what Paul says, and he's living it out and illustrating it here, but he tells the church at Philippi, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
on a cross. So we get to see Paul learning from Christ to be a servant of everyone. He's not above anything and therefore he's out picking up sticks. So I want you to take a little inventory. How are you with picking up sticks? How are you doing in that area right now? Clean some toilets. Clean some dog poop out of the backyard. Doing some laundry and dishes. Doing other things in secret that only the Lord sees. How are you doing in that area? Do you need to grow like me? Sometimes we do this out of just sheer discipline, don't we? I need to grow in servanthood like Paul is illustrating here. I need to grow in picking up sticks. And there's a time for that, isn't there? But then as we're seeing with Paul here, somewhere in our journey, we actually find joy in it. You can find great joy in being a servant of other people, doing the stuff that no one else sees except the Father. And I think Paul, because the love of God had hit his heart and transformed him, the grace of God, the mercy of Jesus, he said, I can't wait to serve other people. I've been given a whole new lease on life. And so I think Jesus invites us into that place that we would actually find joy in serving other people, not just out of discipline. A second thing that we see here in this peculiar passage, after seeing Paul out picking up the sticks with the other people and probably what happened is the snake was bundled up in the sticks or we're not sure, but at some point when the fire's lit, the snake comes out and latches onto his hand. And what do you notice about the locals? Kind of reminds us of Lystra and other places where Paul and the apostles would go and the people seem to be very superstitious, don't they? So they watch this happen and they watch the snake latch onto him and they point and they say, ah, his bad luck, his bad behavior has finally caught up to him. He managed to get out of that shipwreck, but look, justice has found him out. He's a bad dude and now his punishment is here. It's interesting because the word justice should actually be capitalized. Look at your Bible. Is it lowercase or capitalized? It's actually capital J because they worshiped a goddess named Justice. And so they were thinking that their goddess Justice was taking action against this murderer or something else that he had done and he was experiencing retribution for it. But look how Paul reacts. Verses five through six, what's going on here? They're expecting him to swell up and die. And what's he do? He shakes it off and there's no problem at all. So being kind of fickle, they move from this dude is doomed, he's gonna die, justice has found him out to he's a God. So wow, they turn on a dime here. And like we saw at Lystra, they're ready to worship. But Paul knew, think about this. This is the word of God. This really happened. And this is difficult for us in 2023 to even conceive of. But Paul knew Jesus who had promised things like Luke 10, 19. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in 
chapter 10, part one of the book. Luke is part one, Acts is part two. He says this, I have given you authority to tread or walk on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. So Jesus is saying there that his promise and his presence, his power included physical and spiritual protection as we're seeing here. Pretty wild story, isn't it? Amanda and I were wondering, why don't we see miracles like this? And we are coming to the conclusion, oftentimes, because we aren't out sharing the gospel like this. Now, that doesn't mean we've all board boats and go to the island of Malta or wherever it is, but I think we probably don't see more things like this, miraculous protection and deliverance and what we're going to see in a moment, because we're not out taking risks with the gospel. Now, even as I say that, I'm like, I got to live that just like you do. And it's an easy yoke. It's not a burdensome thing. It's an invitation from Jesus. And so I think, friends, as a church, we would see the miraculous more if we were putting ourselves into places, taking risks, praying for folks, sharing the gospel, sharing our story. Look at Mark 16. Just want to show you this here because this is a rather odd moment in the book of Acts, but it's really not. Mark 16, 15 through 18, it's known as the longer ending of the gospel of Mark. I'm not going to go into all the details on it, but it's probably a later manuscript that, and you may not even have it in your, your Bible there, but it's, these experiences are attested to by early Christian history. And so listen to what Jesus says, this longer ending of Mark. He tells his disciples after his resurrection, he says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe by using my name. They will cast out demons. Look at the things they're doing. They will speak in new tongues. Verse 18, they will pick up snakes in their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now we can't go into the details of all of this and the, the history behind this inclusion. Should it be included in the gospel of Mark or not? But the point is, this, these experiences were normative for early Christians. Every single thing here was something that could be attested to by early Christian history. Verse 18 probably has Paul in mind. And so Paul was an example of being able to pick up a snake. Now, I know immediately some of us, where's your mind going right now? You go into some of these churches in the backwoods where they're handling snakes. John Moe, do you think that is what Dr. Luke is talking about here? He's in, no, thank you. Glad our elder knows that is not what Dr. Luke is getting at here, that you need to handle snakes and show if you have faith or not. That's foolishness, right? The point of this, and that's a foolish interpretation and application of this. The point of the passage, as we saw in Luke 10, we see in the example 
of the Apostle Paul is that supernatural things happen. When you're out sharing the gospel and reaching into the darkness with the gospel, even snakes have to give way to the power of the name of Jesus. That's the point here. And so this week, I've just been thinking about why don't I see more miracles? Why don't I see more healings? And I'm feeling increasingly pushed into those places of sharing the gospel with people and actually praying for it. How can you expect to see miracles and signs and wonders if you're not praying for people? It doesn't work that way, does it? And we gather here on Sundays as a bunch of hot burning logs to catch one another on fire and encourage each other and experience some training. And then the Lord sends us out with the gospel as his kingdom emissaries, his kingdom agents. So after this episode here, verse seven, Paul and team, because everything, the Lord is just orchestrating divine appointment after divine appointment at verse seven here, they meet a chief man. He's probably the governor. It doesn't say, but the language here is suggesting that. A guy named Publius, he had a huge property, obviously, because he could accommodate a group of 276 people with a bonfire. And what do we read at verse eight? What's going on with his father? His father's sick in bed. And commentators talk about he had what is called the Malta fever. And later on, some scientists discovered a microbe in goat's milk that was unique to the island of Malta, and they called it the Malta fever. This dude was in a bad place. And oftentimes, the Malta fever would take months and months or years to recover. His stomach was a mess. You can fill in the blank there. And he was sick and possibly dehydrated and on his way to death. And we see Paul again doing what his master did. We found Jesus in Luke 4, praying for the sick, laying hands on sick people. And then he tells his disciples, his 12, to go and do the same thing. And now we find Paul following his example. Now, it's interesting. Do you see him talking about the gospel or anything in these, these verses here? It kind of leaves me scratching my head. How about you? It's suggested though. I can guarantee you if Paul is laying hands on people, he is praying in whose name? The name of Jesus. And do you think he's gonna let that opportunity go by without telling people about the Lord Jesus who is resurrected from the dead and who's poured out his spirit on him? You better believe it. So the gospel is lingering large behind all of these verses here. He's praying for the sick and just like Jesus, in Luke 4, this man is healed, and then how to the Maltese people respond? They come, they're like, there is healing, and so they're bringing their sick, and so we continue to see yet another example of the followers of Jesus doing what he did. It's beautiful, so at verse nine, they bring their sick. Then at verse 10, again, these hospitable people, look at verse 10. They bestowed many honors on us. And when we were about to sail, look what they do. They load up the boat with provisions. And so they are grateful to Paul and grateful to the team. And so the people are put back on this boat. 
Let's read 11 through 16, and then we'll have communion. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Verse 11, three months later, so they spend three months on the island of Malta. We set sail on a ship that had wintered at the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the twin brothers as its figurehead. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. Then we weighed anchor and came to Regium. After one day there, a south wind sprang up and on the second day, we came to Petoli. And there we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Kind of a footnote there. The believers from there, when they heard of us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So Paul arrives at Rome. They've stayed there roughly 90 days. They get on a third ship. The second ship, what happened to it? Fell apart into pieces and people were grabbing onto it and floating into the island of Malta. So this is ship number three, another Alexandrian ship coming from Egypt, loaded with grain, headed to Rome, and so they're on this ship. Why do you think the details are there? Verse 11, this is a ship from Egypt. It has at the front of the boat these twin brothers. We're not exactly sure other than Luke giving an eyewitness detailed account. And so you've got these twin brothers in Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux, the sons of Zeus, protectors of all sailors. And I think Luke is using a little bit of humor here. He's saying it's not the Greek gods that keep anybody safe. It is the sovereign God of Israel, the sovereign God and father of the Lord Jesus. So I think he's working in some masterful humor. We can put that slide back up there. So they're sailing. Oh, there's our boat. Yes. And then if you'll put the map up there, they're just making, they're weaving their way up. You see Syracuse, Regium, through Messina, up all the way to Rome. And they came to Rome at verse 14. Now we haven't encountered this that much, but Paul longed to see Rome for several reasons. Most Roman citizens longed to see the beauty, the glory of Rome, and he was a very cultured man, but he also wanted to see the believers that were there. And so Luke is signaling to us, Paul arrives. Is he taking the gospel for the first time to see conversions happen for the first time? What's the text showing us? There's already a number of Christians that are there. There are already churches that have taken root in Roman soil. And so Luke is letting us know that the gospel has reached as far as Rome, the head of the Roman Empire. And so we see him greeting fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and he's thanking God and then he's meeting the people that he had written the letter of Romans to, Romans 1 and Romans 15. He's talking about these people. Well, now he gets to meet them. This is interesting at verse 16. What do you notice about Paul? He's not kept in a prison cell, is he? What's the text say? 
he's allowed to live by himself. Does Luke explain why? I don't see any explanation there. But again, Luke is suggesting that Paul was such an outstanding person that he's made an impression probably on the centurion who was with him and all along the way, someone has pulled strings for Paul. And so he was allowed to stay in his own quarters, connected with a guard. There was a guard from the Praetorium Guard that was watching over him, but he had some freedom. It may have even been that there were some local Christians who knew some authorities that were enabling him to live by himself. Why don't we stand up, friends? We're gonna take communion. What a passage. And then we will end the book of Acts next week. So I encourage you to read verses 17 through 31 for the last passage. And then I've mentioned what we're going to be doing after that. We're gonna do a short series on stewardship, giving, generosity, then we're going to do another little series on the largely ignored book of Jude, the one chapter there. So if the servers want to come up here, that would be great. You can start getting ready and we will have someone serving gluten-free communion here. I'm holding it up. So we'll have someone there serving that. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 as our communion servers are up here. The Apostle Paul, who we've been reading about, who was mightily saved and forgiven. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Lord, we thank you for your body, your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice, your love for us. We pray that we would encounter you in these moments as we partake of your body and your blood. We pray in your name, amen. So come to the table, friends, and again, we have gluten.